Song. The podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 103rd edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. We're delighted to be joined today, this evening, by perhaps the highest profile speaker that we've had on the podcast in an interview exclusive to the Wolf Whistle where the truth will come out, the myths will be busted and we'll find out the real reasons why Stan didn't make it at the Wolves. Ladies and gentlemen, Stan Collymore. Stan, how are you, mate? Very good, Jay. Good to meet you, Paul. Yes, and you, my friend. We did work together a few years back at the the Mount Hotel in Tetnall, and I remember your opening gambit. Um, you actually walked into the hotel uh, when we started the show. You, you, your opening line was, "There's a few number plates I recognise on the car park." <laughs> that is my opening gambit. I don't do lots of after dinner speaking, actually, but when I do, I usually uh, because people obviously when they're going to to see you speak. Um, I'll probably do three or four a season. Funny enough, I've got uh, Nottingham is, is somewhere I go back to a fair bit in Liverpool, as you can imagine. Yes. But um, in Nottingham, they, they, they're they used to the opening gambit now. But when it's somewhere new, I'll go in and say, uh, uh, I'll get be introduced by the compare and he'll say, you know, Stan Collin, want to come on the stage? And I'll say, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I've recognised a few of you from uh, Up the Chase and, uh, and Bar Beacon. And it's, it firstly gets a laugh, it breaks the ice, because I think that a lot of people think, oh, he's going to be really serious and he's yes. going to take himself really seriously. Uh, but yes, I remember it very well. It was a fundraiser, I believe, for, yeah, for if, I, if, I, if I remember correctly, a lady that had passed and her husband it was a bit, uh, from cancer. Yes, that was right. Um, so it was my wife, Stan, that died of cancer, and you kindly, I remember you reduced your fee, and you were so honest, and you answered everything I put to you, and I've got to be honest, you know, to the people that are going to listen to this podcast, Stan, I said to Stan, right, Stan, let's go through the questions before, and Stan said, that's not the way I do it, you ask me anything you want, I trust you implicitly, and you, you are honest and open, aren't you, Stan? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the, the best way to be. I mean, I think I think the thing is, there's a lot of myths build up when I, uh, we get chance to talk about some because they're particularly around the sort of Cannock and Wolverhampton area. They 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 they're, they're legendary. Yes. And it makes me laugh. And I dealt with a lot of them when I when I worked on Talksport sort of six seven years ago now, and I was there for eight years, so I could deal with them, you know, a, a lot when they when they came. Yes. But for a younger generation of Wolves fans, a they wouldn't sort of necessarily know. B it's kind of passed on as sort of fact. Um, a lot of them. So yeah, I'm 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 really easy going, and and all my mates uh, will be listening to this. I've already prepped them. So uh, <laughs> to Steve, to Bell, to Scott, and to Mark, all season ticket holders in various parts of uh, Molyneux. Yeah. Um, my nearest and dearest friends, yeah, they 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 know me better than anybody, and they've supported me over my career. So uh, I, I just think I'm fairly straightforward. Some people would say not, so let's go for it and see where it where it takes us. Well, I think you are, Stan. Now, the first myth I used to hear this story growing up, and it was Stan Collymore was outside. You're making me sound bloody old now. Oh, Stan, well, you heard it growing up. <laughs> well, it was Stan Collymore was outside Mamie's or Silks, one of the two, and a bloke came up to him and said, Stan, anything you can do, I can do, to which you responded by getting a £50 note out your wallet and setting fire to it. Stan. It's a great, it's an absolutely, it is the number one that does the rounds around Cannock. Yeah. Um, 
I I live down south now, but I, I, I rent my house out in Cannock, and uh, my mum's still up there, so I'll come up a couple of times a week. And I lived in Cannock all the way from my football career, so whether it was Forest or whether it was Liverpool or Villa, I lived in Cannock. And as you know, Cannock's a massive Wolves town. Yes. And whenever I go, um, uh, people would know the sports bar in Cannock, a guy called Scott Murray yep. runs it. And I'll, and I'll go in there maybe once a year at Christmas. We've gone up to the Showhill Tavern. We've had a few pints, the lads, and we'll say, come on, let's let's revisit our youth. Let's go down to the sports bar. And if I've had one 22 or 23-year-old, that's obviously dad's passed on this story or granddad's passed this story. Um, I've had a thousand. Yeah. Right, let's get straight to it. The first I heard of it was way before social media. So probably... Late on in my career, so 98, 99, I'd have been at probably Leicester or what have you. And I went to, it must have been a pub in Cannock, and somebody said, have you heard of this, heard this rumour and myth? I said, I haven't, no, what is it? And it, and it, and it was a £10 note, then it was a 20 <laughs> then it was a 50 <laughs> it was in Mamie's, then it was in Silks. A bloke on Twitter, when he said, when you said, Stan's going to join us. Yeah. It was a pub in Wensfield. Never been in any pub in Wensfield <laughs> in my life. I don't blame you. Uh, nor, nor Willinor, nor Wensbury. Um, is that I'm afraid it's an utter myth. And oh. the reason why it's an utter myth is twofold. Is that one, that never happened. Yeah. And two, um, my dear mum, who's still 92. Bless she's, her. Uh, she's in a care home these days. Oh. She's doing really well. Um is that she always taught me to the sort of look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. Yes. It's just not me. If you ask me, mates, would Stan get out a £10 or a £20 or a £50 note and burn it? They'd say, you've, you've got to get your hand in his pocket first. That's <laughs> the first. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that myth can go straight to bed. I do occasionally when I can be bothered these days. I used, I, for the first 15 years of Twitter... So I joined in 2008, and I was actually the first current or former sports player, journalist, broadcaster, whatever pundit, yep. to use the platform. And often people would go, oh, I heard this, and I heard that, and I heard the other. And I used to deal with it then, and you get into arguments with people. Yes. People wouldn't, wouldn't say, take no for an answer. It'd be like, no, he did, because my, my... And I'd say, where was the pub? What time was it? Who told you? Yeah. And everybody, and then everybody mentions a different pub. So <laughs> absolutely, categorically, uh, I have never burnt a note of any description um, with the, the the Queen's head or any anybody else's head on it. I, I, I genuinely like me me money too much to be to have ever done that. So it's an, a resounding no on that one. Well, Stan, thank you for being so honest. Now, I. I Listen, I hadn't planned to obviously talk about the, the dog in. You, you brought it up first, but I, I, we're not going to go too much into detail on that, obviously. But on the on the day that you got the call from the journalist, um, yeah. uh, was 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 your heart almost in your mouth and like, oh dear? Yeah, it was because it basically led to led to a divorce and led to a very sort of um, public divorce. My my then three year old daughter left home. It was it was incredibly oh. traumatic and tragic, and it was tragic. For my, for my then wife and for yes. my daughter. Um, effectively, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people know that I speak out about mental health issues. Yes. No, I don't blame any of my mental health issues on any particular behaviours, but without doubt that, that when you have 
sort of mixture of mental health issues, if you like. Yes. But at a certain time, they ate themselves, and it's called acting out. A lot of people would know that, particularly those that will be listening that have, that, that have mental health issues. Some people's just behaviours go in different ways. And for me, it wasn't even about what the act ended up as. It was just the excitement yeah. of potentially getting caught. Um, actually, in Calic Chase, bizarrely, um, <laughs> I was just up there sitting, eating, listening to, to a radio station. I think it was five lives, about 10 o'clock at night. And eating a McDonald's and pretty much minding my own business. And it was two journalists on a sting. And I kind of, I, I gleefully gave them loads of information as to where oh. to go and what to do. And, but yeah, it was, it, it it's something I can look back on now and, and think was a bit funny, but the, the seriousness behind yes. it was is that um, it, it precipitated my divorce and an estrangement from my uh, my then wife and, and my oh. daughter, which was incredibly traumatic. So, um, yeah, I get reminded about that one, as you can imagine, on Twitter a fair bit. And Ugh, I did yeah. mention it when I go and do uh, the odd the after-dinner speaking, as I said. But um, I think time and distance... Allows you to look at things very differently. But Absolutely, it's incredibly traumatic. Absolutely, I think what gave it away, Stan, really was the the number plate SVC one. <laughs> I was going to say it probably didn't help. The, the only the, the only worst one could have been five TAN, um, <laughs> and that would have been a really good. Um, and of course, being about a mile away from where I lived, so that was probably uh, not not the brightest button in the box. Uh, <sighs> it's fair to say on that day, but yeah, it, it, it's it, 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 it's a lot of. A lot of fans will, will use anything. We all know that we're all yeah. football fans. We all kind of have a lend of each other. And if our clubs beat, you know, if I'm a Villa fan and Villa beat Wolves and it's kind of you give it a little bit on Twitter, then you get it back and you obviously get that that comes up. And, you know, have you been doing have you been, what you've been doing, Stan, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, yes, long gone and thankfully never repeated. Good. I mean, bless you, Stan, for talking about it. Listen, we've all made mistakes. All right. You was a, a young man at the time, and listen, these things happen. Now, to football, you started your youth career, I believe, at Warsaw, 87, 88. But, so before we get to the Wolves, the, the interesting, juicy Wolves bit, you got spotted by Warsaw, but as a young player, was, you know, as a, as a young kid, 10, 11, 12, was you, was you banging in the goals for fun? And is that how Warsaw... Spotted and, you. And it, just, it, it just goes to show that the difference in time that we're talking about sort of early 80s. Yeah. And I played for the district two or three years before um, most. So most were sort of, um, sort of, I think, 10, 11. And I remember being picked for the district at nine. Um, the issue and the problem was really simple. And it's thanks to a Wolves fan, actually, that I, um, that I had a career. And effect, basically what happened was, no scouts came to watch. I played for a club called Longford Boys. Longford's a part of Cannock. Yep. You know, the A5 well. Longford Roundabout, where um, McDonald's and there's a shell garage in Longford House, um, on it, just off the M M6 as well. Yes. And so we played in that part of Cannock, scored loads of goals, and did what I did as a, as a senior, really. I used to pick the ball up, like, used to like to run with it. And no scouts ever came. And quite simple, the reason, the reason why was, scouts from whether it be Vale or Stoke, Stafford Rangers even, Hensford Town never even came and watched because scouts were getting paid a pittance. We're talking about the day and age where, when I did become an apprentice, you know, the Molyneux, if you think about it then, it was falling down. Yeah. We're in the fourth division. Most stadiums around the country were in some sort of, decreptitude yes so club didn't have the kind of money now whereby 
if you're if if you haven't found an eight year old that is the next Lionel Messi as a as a youth team scout, you're out on your ass kind yes. of thing within you know as a as a scout. So I plugged away and I was scoring ridiculous. I scored eighty eighty four in one season and nothing. So I got to a position where my mate Paul who's a massive, huge Wolves fan. He's, he's lads, uh, his lad, actually, one of his lads is a Spurs fan, um, which he's not happy with. But his other, his other lad, his oldest lad, Billy's a, a Wolves fan, and they go together. And I, his dad, Mac, who passed away two years ago, and I was one of the pallbearers. And I was one of the pallbearers because it was my best mate's dad. And he was an ambulance uh, driver, fast response driver for West Midlands Ambulance Service. Yeah. And he was mates with a guy called Tom Bradley that was the physio, the first team physio at Warsaw. And Max said to Tommy, my my lad's mate, how he's not being spotted now, I have no idea. Just as a favour for me, give him a trial. If he, if he can't do it, then that's fine. So I got invited, I think, to, I think it was Wensfield Leisure Centre, um, or Bentley, sort of somewhere off the M6, Wensfield, Bentley, that kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. And it was an indoor, and I, and I impressed, and I got invited back for a trial. And it was a trial match at Pelsall Villas Ground. And I did really well in that. And there was a guy called um, Stan Jones, and he was... I think he was, he was a scout for Warsaw. And I remember him walking over to me, Mum, he says, God alone knows where this kid's been. He said, but we're going to take him. Wow. So I'd had, a, I'd had a, a trial for Birmingham, bizarrely. Um, spits on the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Who? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, my God, they give me so much stick, but I love it. But um, anyway, that's <laughs> another story. Is that I'd, I'd had a trial for Blues two trial games within a week. One was against, one was for the youth team against Port Vale. Birmingham 2, Port Vale 1, Collymore 2 goals. And then the next week, it was the the England youth team at Elmden where Blues trained. And it, I think it was 3-1 to the England youth team. And I scored the one. And, I thought, and at that point, I was playing Sunday, Sunday morning football in the Canuck Chase Division 7. <laughs> And I was, uh, it was mad. It was, it was all my mates. We were playing men's football, but we were all like 17, 18. Yeah. So I joined Warsaw. Um, it was the season when they went into what is now the championship. David Kelly. Yeah. Scoring loads of goals. He went off to West Ham. That's right. Cause he um, scored Africa in the uh, playoffs, didn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. he did. I mean, he, 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 I think it was 650 grand the fee that he went to West yes. Ham. But, you know, he was an Ireland international then. And I was signed up as an apprentice for a second year apprenticeship. So I missed the first year, 16, 17, 18. I joined at 17, 18. And it was a classic old apprenticeship. Sweeping Fellows Park, um, playing youth team games at uh, Birmingham University's grounds, which is just, again, just off the M6. Yeah. As you come down, some sort of cross from Great Bar into Warsaw on the left. And I scored goals, but the, the youth team coach is a guy called Ray Train. Yeah. And it, honestly, he was horrible to all the lads. Um, it, it's a type of make you to break your attitude that doesn't really fly anymore in professional football. Yeah. You have to be very careful now with how you 
treat younger players, and rightly so. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, but the way we were treated was like dogs. And, and for me in particular, I just wanted to play football. So he could see in me that there was a talent there, but after every single session... We'd be walking off, and the training ground was right next to Fellows Park, so where the Morrisons is in, in um, near near the, the new Bescott Stadium. Yes, yes. And I'd get to the gate, five or six steps, get towards the gate, and I'm like, I've got away with it this time. And he'd whistle, and he'd say, "Not you, you're not fit enough. Let's get you back." And he would run me and run me and run me and run me, and the impact on it on me, it felt like bullying because it was every session yeah. every day I was left out of youth teams despite scoring two goals we went up to Newcastle played Newcastle United in the FA Youth Cup I was on the bench despite having scored two goals the game before we're losing 2-0 it puts me on for 10 minutes I score two goals in 10 minutes and it was just this kind of whatever I did wasn't good enough so I remember, I remember going and getting the bus from Cannock to Warsaw, and then a, a bus from Warsaw bus station to Fellows Park. And I was just in tears every day. Yeah. I was saying to my mum, if this is football, I don't want to be a part of it. It was upsetting, it was distressing, it, was, um, it, it, it just didn't feel what was promised. So I said to my mum, I'm leaving. And she said, that's fine, I'll, I'll support you in whatever decision you make. And I left. Um, and then I remember going to the careers officer in Cannock and saying, I want to stay in the game. And he said, I'll call a few, um, I'll call a few clubs for you. Right. And one of them I'd done well in and scored a couple of, I don't know, it was one or two. It was, it was Walsall against Wolves in the FA Youth Cup and it was at Fellows Park. So under the lights on a Tuesday night, wherever it was, good crowds, you know, 800, 900 people to watch an FA Youth Cup game then. At Warsaw was good, and the youth team coach for Wolves was Barry Powell, yep. who played for Wolves, played for Cov, played for Derby, I think. And I get this phone call about a week later, and he said, "Stan, it's Barry Powell." He said, "You did really well against us." He says, "We'll take on your YTS till the end of the season," um, and that was it. I, I, I'd, I'd left mid-season Warsaw uh, there can't be many people that have been apprentices at two clubs and, no. and I was and the difference between Ray Train that was a, an ultra disciplinarian yeah he would leave like one P's and two P's around the dressing rooms and around the U-bends of toilets and if you didn't find them it'd be right right you've missed two two one P coins no. get out on the track 60 seconds to do a lap and inevitably, he didn't do it in 60 seconds, so he'd go again and again and again until he did. Law of diminishing returns, you get slower, not faster, so you just end up running for half an hour for no reason. Barry was the opposite. He was kind, he was warm, yep. we still communicate now, he's on, um, he's on LinkedIn, and he, and he, he sent me the loveliest message. Um, I was struggling about 10 years ago with my mental health, and I get this LinkedIn message, you should keep your chin up, kidder. He said, I hope you're well. And Barry, firstly, wanted me to go to Wolves. Yeah. Secondly, put his arm around me and said, we've got a really good youth team striker, Colin Taylor. You two up in the youth team, you're just going to score 
shedfuls of goals. The youth team at Wolves was much better. There was a lad, Matt Green, uh, Richard Hartigan, um, so I think who else was there. But it, it, it was a really, I mean, Colin Taylor was the one that got into, he got into the first team yes. eventually. Um uh, a scouser actually talks exactly like Robbie Fowler. I was going to say, I, I know Colin very well. We've had Colin on the, uh, the podcast, and Barry Powell, and uh, I mean, Colin scored twice on his first team debut. Um, yeah. Go on, carry he on, sorry, a, Stan. He was a, a very hot. You know what? The, the thing that tied to, tied together a lot of scousers that are footballers, whether it be Joey Barton, whether it be Fowler, whether it be Gerard Carragher, Colin Taylor, is that. In in that generation, they were street footballers. Yes, Wayne Rooney yes. is that they, they were they were hardy. I was the opposite. I was this soft kid from from Cannock that had been mollycoddled by my mom <laughs> most of my childhood. Got my way, got what I wanted because living in a one parent family. And Colin was the opposite. He was like, I was born to do this. Yeah, you get you tell me to run for, for ten kilometers till the blisters are popping on me. I'll do it. So. I signed for Wolves, and it was it was it was massive. I mean, thinking about it now, I can't express the joy because Warsaw was great. I, I'm a massive football geek, and I still am. But in the rung of West Midlands clubs, you're looking at you know the greatest club in the in the Midlands is Aston Villa, of course. Oh, you <laughs> was doing so well, Stan. If you're taking eight West Midlands in particular, but you know. Villa, Wolves, and then you're looking at sort of Albion, and then it's Blues, and it probably would have been Cov. <clears throat> and then at the bottom of the league clubs, you're looking at Warsaw. Yes. So to sign for a club that all my mates at school were going in with the sort of the 1980 sort of classic sort of old gold shirt with the yeah. Wolves head on and League Cup final 1980 stitched into it was a massive deal for me. Yeah. Canuck is a Wolves town, don't yes. get me wrong. Um, mate of mine, Steve Goff, runs the, the Villa coaches from Canuck and they're full and, and it's been taking them for 35, 40 years. But I know all too well that, A, most people would drive, go to the Molyneux, down the Stafford Road, go the back way, yeah. to the Molyneux, have a few beers, etc., etc. But Wolves is a, uh, Canuck is a Wolves town. Always has been, always will be. My yeah. uncle, his firstborn son, Doug, is buried up in Cannock Cemetery with me, with Nan and Grandad. And on his headstone, it says, "Out of Out of the darkness cometh the light." Oh, and that actually is still my my um, most treasured saying. Um, whenever I've struggled, out of the yes. darkness cometh the light. And, and my, mate, my mate Scott will remind me, you do realise, you know, this is a, you must be presented as a, as a Closet Wolves fan. And I'm like, no, I'm a Villa fan. I've always been a Villa fan. But but that, that, that quote means a lot to me. What? So I get to Wolves and it was like Wonderland, walking into Molyneux, decrepit as it was. Yes. We were ball boys. So because... At that stage, there was the um, John Island, as it was then. Yeah. And I think half of the South Bank, might have been three quarters of the South Bank was populated. His balls were always going into the South Bank, into the North Bank, uh, into the main stand before it was rebuilt. And I was there picking up balls <laughs> next to the sort of old um, scoreboard signs, you know, with the letters and stuff on. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, 
And I played, I remember my first youth team game, scored, Colin Taylor, hold it up, lay it off, I run onto it. And within three or four games, I was up to about six goals. Um, game five or game six was the Albion. And Please tell me you scored, Stan. I remember the, the, the day very well because it's the Albion. So I'm like, right, this is, this is you know, all my mates are going, you've got, go, you got to score against the Albion, you've got to score. It doesn't matter if it's youth team, tiddlywinks, yeah. you've got to score against the Albion. And it was Wolves 4, Albion 1, and I scored all four. Well done, Stan. And um, the centre-half that was playing against me was Peter With's son, Jason. Oh, right. Um, and Peter With was there, and I'm like, that's Peter With, one of my all-time heroes. Yes. So I remember that day very well. I went back to Molyneux, because we had duties to do. We were on match duty. Bullied probably... I don't know, it was his first cap or his second cap or his third cap. But he had those, what was the name of the boots that he wore? Quasar. Quasar. <laughs> so I go into the home dressing room and Bully's got that Umbro England kit on with the two two buttons, the granddad. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. And he's in his England kit with Quasar boots on. There were some photos about him. I don't, I've still got the photos, yeah? I can remember it. And... Uh, he said, how did you get on? And I went, we won 4-1. And he went, did you score? I went, all four. <laughs> he went, good lad. And I was like, fucking hell, bullies just... <laughs> That's, That's amazing. And uh, honestly, the, the, the stories that I could tell you about that club at that time, Warsaw, in comparison, it felt like Warsaw going to Wolves. Um the training ground um, at Compton was was much better. It still wasn't up to scratch like it, you know, training yeah. grounds are now. Um, we, even though the club was in the fourth division, the crowds, the South Bank was still populated. Most yes. of the John Island was was was, was populated. Um, on a Friday, we'd train behind the North Bank on yeah. this sort of infamous sort of glass bottles, half bricks, dog shit. It, was kind of, it, it, it had gone back to the Stan Cullis era and this is going to toughen you up. If you can if you can navigate your way with bricks and bottles and yeah. dog shit, then you'll be all right when a ball's put in front of you on a Saturday kind of thing. And I loved it. I absolutely um, loved it, that putting the kit on. Uh, it was scoreline then. Yes. Seeing all the, the pros were great lads. There was people like Tomo that was just down the road in, yeah. in, in, from Featherstone. Um, the pros seemed really kind. Floyd Street was amazing. Um, Deno, Vino. I still, I still will message Vino now. Yeah. Um, Ali, Ali, Rob. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the first team players, there didn't seem to be any big time Charlies. First and foremost, the club was in the fourth division, so why would there be? But sort of even Bully and Muchy that were scoring 30, 40, 50 goals a season, um, there was a real warmth around the place. Um, so we got to the end of the first season and there was a tournament, a youth team tournament in a place called Valenciennes in northern France yeah and Wolves were in it and the other team 
the other big team was the Polish national under 20s and it was in the middle of this village and everybody turned out from the village to watch the teams because there was a lot of Italian teams and French teams um, and we got we either got to the final and lost 1-0 against the Polish national under 20s or we won 1-0 and I got player of the tournament and I was buzzing that summertime um, I went home all of my mates knew that I was at Wolves um, everybody was rooting for me to do well because any pub that I went in the Royal Oak in Cannock or Chasers or Snoopies or where people were going how you doing how you getting on in a way that at Warsaw people were still rooting for me but this was Wolves this yes. was this mattered a, a young local kid from Cannock playing for Wolves was and, and still is I think the, the the player that had made it before that would have been uh, Jeff uh, Jeff, to, uh, Jeff Palmer. Jeff Palmer. And after you, I think it was Liam uh, McAlinden. Yeah, uh, McAlinden was after me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But oh, I think I, he, he was the the next one after Rayleigh. I know it was a, a while, a long while after. Yeah, but it was yeah, from well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so it, it was a big deal. And when you then oh, look huge. back at the history of players that have played for Wolves, Villa, Birmingham, Albion, yes. there is quite a lot from Cannock. That, yeah. that, that do pop up, particularly sort of post-war and pre-war. So it was a big deal. So I go and see Graham Turner, and he said, he scored a lot of goals, granted. You only came for half a season. We've got Colin Taylor. We've got John Paskin. We've got Paul McLaughlin. We've got yeah. Bully. We've got Muchy. You're at the bottom of the list, but I'm going to give you a three-month non-contract. And I was, I was fucking gutted. I was like, what does this make? With me, ambiguity. I hate amb ambiguity. If somebody says, we're going to give you a year and you've got a year to prove yourself, great. If somebody says three months, I think, well, I've got to, I've got to really pull up trees. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I come back to pre-season, great pre-season. Then all of a sudden I'm playing, no longer in the youth team, I'm playing the resis. And we played the Bass Charity Vars final against... Notts County at Burton Rugby Club and that's where Burton Albion I think played before they moved into their little identical stadium yeah and <laughs> so it was half a first team um, and half the, 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 the brightest reserves and I, I can only say that I scored two absolute worldies um, and there's a guy on TalkSport called Tony Incenzo yeah and Tony's a massive kid. He hasn't missed a Queen's Park Rangers home game of any description since 1973. Pinnock. This guy has, has, has given up weddings, marriages, children for, for, to go and watch QPR. And he, he does QPR for TalkSport. So he said to me, he said, I watched you in 1989, the Bass Charity Vars, Wolves. And do you know what he did? He, he drew the goals. <laughs> That's he commitment. He's like parks football now. He's, he's, he's basically been to every, every ground that you could possibly think of to step four. And now he's going to, to, to make it his life's mission to go to every parks team until he pops his clogs. Yeah. But he, he brought into TalkSport one day a book, a, a little folder, and he drew both goals and he said, I remember the second one because you must have hit it from fully 25, 30 yards. You drove it 
and it's it's gone into the stanchion and he showed me the, the illustration of it um and i remember the express and star put in wolves are playing i don't know even let's say wrexham i don't know wolves are playing wrexham on the saturday and it says graham taylor uh, graham turner has a bit of a quandary um I don't know whether Bully or Muchy were out and um, he was asked in his press conference would he give young rookie Stan Collymore a go and he, he just put a, the dampness on it. He just said virtually no chance and I didn't I didn't get into the ma- I didn't get into one match day squad which still it really disappoints me. Uh, well, why why do you think that is Stan? Because obviously, <laughs> you, you, I mean, history tells us what a fantastic talent you were at the time. It, for example, Colin Taylor, it was difficult for him to break into the squad with with Bully and Muchie in front of him. But but you was a different animal. You really was. So why do you think you never got that opportunity? It's a funny one because, and, and I'll go into another myth. And, and I'll and I'll talk about the myth. I think I know which one it might be. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I get to the end of the three months, and he asks to see me, and I can remember it as clear as day because outside now, where pretty much where the the Billy Wright statue would be, but much closer to the old stand. Yeah, his car was outside being washed, and it was a sort of white Ford gear sponsored, Graham Taylor sponsored by whoever locally. And he called me and he said, I'm not going to give you a contract. He said, you've done well, I'm, I, I, but I'm not going to give you a contract. And he said, I'm, I'm more than happy to let your name circulate around local clubs. And he said, we'll do as much as we can to help you. He said, but I'm not going to give you a contract. And at that point, I'm just sort of not taking it in. I'm just sitting in front of him as an 18-year-old. And I'm like, I'm... Yeah. I'm I am not going to make it as a professional footballer. I remember walking out, um, going behind the South Bank, the old path around the back, and getting to Wolverhampton bus station. And I was just thinking, oh, it was the green bus for Canuck. Yeah. And I thought, what am I going to tell my mates? What am I going to tell my mates? They're going to be ashamed. They're going to be embarrassed. And do you know what? They were all right. But going into this myth, and we're, we're fast-forwarding a little bit here. Yeah. When I was at Forest, I went back and I scored a, a, a very good goal. I remember it. Uh, uh, well, I'll talk you through the goal. You, you're on about uh, Tony Incenzo drawing one out. You, I believe, turned in between Venus, Shirtliff, and it was towards the South Bank. And it was a fantastic goal. And um, I believe you celebrated and, and gesticulated towards Graham Turner. I might be wrong. And- and that is twofold. One, because I was released and it was just the sort of release of you let you let the wrong man go. You should have let Paskin or McLaughlin. I've turned out they spent, they spent money on, to be fair, at the time. Yeah. But the second one was, is that I remember, just like the, um, the £50 note story, a story, and somebody came up to me, I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it was somebody that I'd seen it in a forum or a blog or something years later, and it was Stan Collymore's bit, the real reason that he was released from Wolves because he got caught nicking. Yeah, yeah. And not only was I so fucking angry, excuse my friend. Hey, Stan, say like, it as it is. But I'm like, where's this come from? This isn't, this isn't something whereby a player in a dressing room, because firstly, 
all players in a dressing room. I wasn't in the first team dressing room. I was in the reserve dressing room. Yeah. And secondly, the, the thought and the notion that somebody at the club may have had money nicked. But I don't know. I, I, to this day, I don't know. And I, I, I trained with, not trained with Tomo. Yeah. And I was so, t- in, it's a gym in Canuck, and I was, his lad knows my lad. And I was yeah. so tempted to ask him, have you heard about this rumour, Tomo? And I want, I just want to know if you've heard, uh, yeah, well, fucking Simon so said he had some money nicked and you'd been released and they put two and two together. And, and I have never, ever, ever been into anybody's pockets for anything in my life. Yeah. And the, the notion that somebody might have said that within the club and then all of a sudden you start to think, hold on a sec. Every time, I remember leading up to the Forest game and they asked him about Graham Turner and he was, you know, he, he could be quite a, he wasn't, he wasn't a naturally lovable guy. He had great success at Wolves yes. and, and, and he was very well, very well respected by Wolves fans and rightly so. But he said, he said something about, well, there were, there were issues and there were, did I miss training? Three or four times I did. Um, went AWOL, just di- didn't turn up. And that would have been enough to say, right, we, we, you're in the last chance saloon here, you've missed training, everybody else has turned up, you've got ability, but we're not taking you on. But even now, when, and, and, it, and there's been a couple of Wolves fans, particularly when got into, getting into spats, there was this sort of mind the gap four or five years ago, you know, Wolves were doing really well in Villa in the Championship. And I'd be like, oh, you lot fucking, you know, you've, you've, first time in 38 years you've finished a book. And you get... And you it get was it. probably me oh, saying it, Stan. And you get it, in the, and you give it as much as you, yeah, you, yeah. you get it. And one guy said, well, the reason why you never met it here is because uh, um, you got caught nicking in the first team <sighs> dressing room. So I sent him a direct message, and I said, firstly, that's not true. And unless you take that down... Um, I will enforce libel proceedings said, yeah. because for me personally if anybody at the club had said Stan Collymore had a disciplinary issue and it was um, we're keeping it in house but then it let it known that that was one of the issues I've had no problem with it whatsoever but Graham Taylor a Turner looked at me in the eyes and said um, not for us at the minute We've got five or six strikers, and that was yeah. the reason why he was that he gave me for leaving. And it makes me so upset and angry that the fifty-pound note story is fine. I actually sent a direct message to a former Premier League player, not a million years ago, retired, and he put on social media, "Well, isn't it true? You know, it's all right. You're having a pop at this player and that player, but isn't it true?" But and I sent him a direct message. And I said, "Unless you take that down, yeah. or unless I invite you to prove it." And he put it, he took it down. And the most hurtful thing about it is, is that one in a football dressing room, that's just a no. It's just something you, you players leave their wallets, they leave their keys, they leave everything. Yeah. And it's just a no. It's part of the discipline of of, of being a, a professional footballer. That everybody's stuff is guarded. Everybody's stuff is safe. Sometimes you take, as when I got to Forest and then Liverpool, you take your wallet out, you put it in a box or a plastic bag, and it gets, gets taken. Flipping X, then I bet I bet you couldn't pick it up by that point. 
Aye, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah but, but um, that rumor, I can, I can put my hand up in, in all of the mistakes of, of which there have been plenty in my life, and say course, I own yeah. these, and these are mine, and I'm a complicated human being that fucks up and makes mistakes. But that that myth and that rumor still hurts to this day because. I'm sure there are Wolves fans that thought it's really simple. Graham Turner's let him go because he was nicking, and, I, and it was like I didn't even hear that till about seven, eight, ten years later. I'd yeah. actually nearly gone back to the club at, the, at that point. Well, and maybe maybe come maybe come back to that. I actually spoke to yeah. him twice after that, but um, that one's upsetting. That one's upsetting, and absolutely not true. I can't prove it. And there'd be Wolves fans that listen to this go, well, he would say that, wouldn't he? But the, it is so raw uh, for me. Can, can, um, can I interject, Stan? Can I interject? Um, yeah. Knowing you as I do in terms of, you know, obviously working with you and how you're speaking on this podcast and how you speak on social media and I've heard you on the radio and etc. I think if you'd have done it, I think you would have actually admitted to it because um, look at the things that... You, you've spoke about in the past, you know, there's, there's certain things you spoke about, I remember at the dinner, so I think you would have said, look, if you had any, I think you'd have admitted it, but clearly well, look, you didn't. Well, look, it's, a, it's funny you make that point, because the answer is I don't know, because I didn't, but yeah, yes. I would like to have think I'd have done, but I think that I, I'm, I'm not massively into conspiracy theories. Yes. But I, did, I have wondered in the intervening years whether it was a very convenient, particularly when I went, when I went on to Forest and I yeah. went back to Molyneux and scored and it was a really good goal. And again, I'm not picking out individuals there, but I think it, it made for a very good excuse yes. to, not, to not be kept on at, 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 at Wolves. Maybe it might have been a journal locally. Maybe it had been, I don't know, somebody guessing, surmising. I didn't even hear anything that any of the players had had money nicked. Still to this day, I've never heard a Wolves player go, I had money nicked in 1980. Huh. Not because those are the things that you kind of remember. I'll be honest, Stan. Even in the little, in the little anecdotes, you <laughs> usually get a, somebody that says, oh, yeah, I, I, I you know, um, I, I had... 50 quid nicked in 1989 and the rumour was it was Stan Cotton. Yeah. That, that kind of stuff comes no, out. No, from my point of view, I'd say it was sour grapes and I say this tongue-in-cheek, but uh, flipping heck, uh, uh, I bet all the wallets had been empty around that time anyway. But on a serious note, Stan, it, I'm sure it was sour grapes because look at the career you went on to have. Look at the goals I you know, went on to it, score. It, it was the fact that I don't think a fan would just one day sit there and go no fucking hell that Collymore's just scored at the South Bank end and it's a really good goal let's make up a rumour um, <laughs> we're not that clever Stan <laughs> no I know but I don't, I don't think that's something a fan no. would do you no. know the, the £50 note story I think is not an urban myth that has been round a, a number of players if I'm being perfectly honest that, that one's done the rounds yes in different regions for years but somebody sitting down and saying make up a story that the reason why he got released was because he was nicking I don't and so there's something in my head that goes 
I wonder if this was somebody close to the club at the time that particularly was when I was doing well yeah. at Forest and then Liverpool that it became like well and any fan would go of course you've got to kick him out fucking hell anybody that's been nicking and dressing that's that's you know it's, that's as bad as, as, yeah. as, as, as it's yeah. and going up to somebody and gobbing in somebody's face um, but that one hurts so Wolves fans I'm holding my hand up that one hurts and, and, the, and the lad that said it about two or three years ago I DM'd him and I said mate you're so far off the mark with that and I, I, I just won't accept you saying that anything that I've done in my life where I've fucked up I've held my hand up and gone that was me that was then and I reserve the right not to make mistakes but to, to, to at least try and move on and I've never been shy about talking about whether it be mental health or whether yeah. it be about any, any number of things. But that one hurt because it was local to me. It was being perpetuated by people local to me in Canuck as well as Wolfo. And it really hurt. So I'm putting that one to bed and I'll just leave it, to reserve the, the better judgment of Wolves fans to decide whether I've been animated enough and pissed oh. off enough and sound pissed off enough that, that there is it still hurts to this day. Well, Stan, once again, very open and honest, and, and I know who I believe. Now, I I went walking this morning up the raking with someone you know, Jez Moxie, and as I'm walking with Jez, I said, yeah. I'm, inter I said, I said I'm interviewing oh, Stan said tonight. To oh, he, yeah, he said, listen, give my regards to Stan. He said... Yeah, I like Jez. Yeah, and, and uh, I was having a walk with him. I said, I'm interviewing Stan tonight. He went, we tried to sign him, and, and I yeah. didn't even know this, Stan. So what's the, the story behind you possibly twice. returning? All oh, right, okay. There was, there was twice. I... It was 1997. So I'd had my first really good season with Liverpool. Yeah. Paula and I scored 55 between us. 55 I goals, think, wasn't it, in 95, yeah, 96? and I think there was, there was something like 12 assists, 13 assists. Um, wow. For, for direct assist to Fowler. I think it was 102 over the two seasons. So it was... A, it, it's a high bar with Liverpool. So unless you unless you win something with Liverpool, Liverpool fans will always see you and and, and they'll go, yeah, I loved Stan, but there was so much more to come from him. And, I, and I'm like, we got 102 goals between us. Over two <laughs> How many do you want? Of, of, of strike partnerships in Liverpool's history that have done better. And so the second season wasn't good. Um, I was starting to feel as if my mental health issues were, were starting to... I mean, they'd, they'd always been there as a, as, as a kid, but they, yeah. they, they were just exacerbated by being a British record transfer, um, uh, uh, constantly being in the spotlight, constantly being in the front as well as the back pages. Yes. Um, finding it very difficult to live a, a, a normal life without being followed, and it just got ridiculous. I was waking up in Canuck. I still lived in Canuck. And I'd open my curtains in the back garden to be a photographer in the in in what was wasteland behind my house with a long right. lens, just waiting for me to open the, the curtains in the morning. And it was just getting too much, and it was affecting my form. I was then becoming in and out of the team towards the end of the second season, and I knew that I was going, and I knew that Villa were interested, and uh, it was it was a dream come true. As it turned out, Villa was a, a nightmare. It was my, it was by far and away the worst time in my career. All of my Mental health issues came out. Yes. Poor behaviour. Um, it, it, it was a nightmare to, to play for the club that you you wanted to from being a kid, and it being a disaster is very very upsetting. But anyway, 
After two thirds of the way through the second season, my mate said, "Come down the walls and come and watch a game." So I called up. Oh, I can't think of her name. She was on the on in reception for years. Dot. 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 <laughs> oh my god! I look. I love Dot, and what and what's his name as well that died recently with the glasses on? Uh, uh oh, um, oh, hang on. Londoner. It was always in and around the tunnel. Oh, um, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, um, Graham Hughes. Yes, Graham. Yes. Dot and Graham. Yeah. When I was apprentice, I fucking loved them. <laughs> Dot would always, I'd always go in, and Dot, as even as apprentice. Doc, can I get a couple of tickets for, for me? Oh, all right, then, because she knew I was from down the road. And Graham was like, all right, Stan, how are you? And, he, you know, his little jolly way and his glasses yeah. on, and he'd always have something for you. He'd be like, I found, you know, he'd have all these sort of old memorabilia from back in the day. And Dot and Graham, if, they, if there was two people that could epitomise what it means to, to work and, and serve a football club, it was them. Yes. In my opinion. I always think of, of Dot and Graham. There's a lady, she's passed now, when I used to go up and do commentaries a lot at St. James's Park, and there was a lady there, and she, in, you, you go in the press room and she'd be at the back, old Geordie lady in her, in her early 70s, and she had like a signed picture of Kevin Keegan stood there like in a little shrine. They are the people that, that I love at a football club. Because now it's, as you know, it's very corporate, very difficult to get answers from anybody. Very, it's great facilities to go in and watch games and fireworks and the drama. But I do miss that, being able to just walk in off the street and go yeah. to Dot and go, Dot, how are you? And I was at Liverpool. And my mate says, Stan, I can't get tickets for whatever game it was. I said, come on, we'll go and see Dot. So we drive down. And I pull up on the car, car park at the North Bank and I go in and say, she's like, all right, how are you? And I said, Doc, can I get a couple of tickets for whoever it was at home? And she's, of course you can. Do you want to jump to leave them here? Do you want to? I said, leave them there and I'll pick them up. And I walk into the ground on the day and everybody, you know, when I walk in, all right, Stan, how are you, pal? And what have you. And we were sitting over in the, what is now the steeple stand. Yeah. At the sort of top left-hand corner. And... Um, game finishes come down to the players lounge and Mark McGee's there he said hey doing big man are you alright I was like yeah yeah you know ticking along and he he shuffles off and he comes back and it's a folded piece of paper which I still got and I'll, I'll script I will find it and send it to you and this is brilliant um, never never been never been given to anybody and my mates then started to get really excited I remember I remember the one time about three or four days after that, I had a I had a bit of a get together of mates at my house in Cannock. I mean, mate brings his his wool shirt, and he's like, "Go on, fucking try it on." <laughs> and so I had I had you know the shirt which was I don't know it was like the, the home brand one with a massive big v, deep V collar. Yes, late, yes, late, yes. Late 90s. And there was a horrible sort of turquoisey green away one I yeah think. I think that was a Puma one actually oh yeah I have got it yeah it, it, it may well have been yeah anyway. yeah so so there is a picture doing the rounds from my, on my mate's um, Kodak Instamatic camera <laughs> of me sitting there with uh, in my house with this wall I wouldn't try it on at first I didn't want to disrespect Liverpool I didn't like nowadays it would be end up in the fucking paper kind of thing um, 
But I tried it on, and he's like, he's bearing down to me. He's like, now you really are a god. And, <laughs> and I opened the piece of paper, and it was official Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, chip paper. So yeah. Like a letter heading, but a chip size. And Mark McGee wrote, Dear Stan, looking forward to seeing you at Molyneux a lot more often, and a lot underlined. And I knew wow. what that inferred. Yes, and yes, that yes. Was, if there was a deal to be done, we'd be we'd be in the race. As it turned out, Villa ended up spending seven million plus add-ons. Yeah, seven million. Yeah. Um, and then later in my career, um, I get a phone call from Jez Moxie. I yeah. was done by then. I don't know if it was post after Bradford or after I'd been before I went out to Spain. That was then I retired. But we met, I can remember it as clear as day, met at the, the, the Hyatt on Broad Street in Birmingham. Um, and he said, we'd love you to come to the club. And the, the money he offered, I, I mean... Um, tell us, said, Dan, tell us, come on. And I'm not telling you. <laughs> it, it, it was a fraction of what I was on at Liverpool. Oh, and I can believe it. A fraction it. of what I was on towards the end of my career. And I was yeah. like, I, I should have taken it, really. I should have actually gone and took it but probably deep down I thought I'm probably not gonna be able to cut it at this point and that's yes. why I retired at 30 I was like uh, Gareth Bale at 32 and I think he made the absolutely right decision once you once there's that little nagging doubt in your head I hadn't had major injuries but I've gone through the ring the ringer mentally once you once you you know, you know. Yes. And I remember retiring. I went out and played in Spain. It was La League. It was the top league. Club in the north of Spain. Oviedo. And it was Oviedo. And it was Celta Vigo away. And it was it was the team that they had that was finishing really well in Europe and what have you. And I got to the end of the 90 minutes and I walked off and I, and I knew then I was going to retire. But yeah, I, I, I spoke to Jez and Jez um, was incredibly gracious, incredibly professional. Uh, I know he's Marmite to a lot of supporters. Of, of he's a good bloke. Yeah, uh, of course, of course. But uh, but yes, twice I nearly joined Wolverhampton Wanderers as a pro. No, oh, I mean, what happened? I, I'd have uh, loved that. Lifetime. I mean, there is an, another story, Stan. I don't think you can quite deny this one. Or you might be able to. Um, it's in Spain again, I believe. I believe it's at La Manga. I believe it was with Leicester. <laughs> and I believe he was putting out a lot of fire. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. I mean, um, I signed for Leicester and I signed for them. I was at Villa and John Gregory was, was I thought, bang out of order with me and my mental health issues. Yeah. And he just wanted to get rid. So they said, we're going to give you a free, pay you up. And Martin's interested at Leicester. And I was like, great. Forest legend. John Robertson, his assistant, Forest legend. Steve Walford, first team coach. I'd heard really good things about him. Leicester City were easily Villa's equal at that point. They were winning League, league Cups. Um, it was Jerry Taggart, Matty Elliott, Muzzi Neil Lennon, Savage, Heskey. And I was like, great, this is a proper functional team. They weren't always the prettiest on the eye, but they, they made life really difficult for yeah. teams. So I got to meet Martin and he said, look, I've heard, I know about your mental health issues. He said, but we'll support you. I was like, great. He said, um, they were playing Chelsea. I met them in London. He said, after the Chelsea game, international break, all the lads are going um, to La Manga for a, for a, a sort of bonding, golfing bonding weekend. Would you, would you like to go? I said, great. 
Long story short, fly to Lamanga, get in my room, and I'm rooming with Emil Heskey. He's not a golfer and I'm not a golfer, so we kicked in the afternoon. And then we get a phone call. Do you remember Ian Marshall? Yes, 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 yes. Big yeah. curly hair, yeah. Big scouse, mop head. Yeah. Great lad, great lad. Uh, the dressing room, they left the dressing room. They, they, they looked after each other big time on and off the pitch. So Marsh rings every room and he says, uh, seven o'clock, meet in the ballroom. Not the ballroom, the sort of the piano room, piano bar. We'll have a couple of sherbets. We'll go out for a drink. So we had a couple of sherbets. I remember it well because Gary Lineker and Wayne Lineker were there. So it must have been the t- uh, Where I'm, could I'm it go sure. wrong? Um, I'm not so sure, yeah, that they, they get on so well anymore. But I think they obviously met in Spain at that point because they wouldn't have seen each other a lot. And I can remember I walked in and, and Gary Lineker and Wayne Lineker were just walking out. And they dodged a bullet, trust me. So all the lads go out, outside of La Manga. I think it was Estepona or Marbella we went into. Absolutely lagging, because it's first night. Yeah. Not training the next day. We go, we go back to the piano bar, and it's about one o'clock in the morning. Still fairly busy in the piano bar. Locals, guests, uh, pianos playing. So I'm sitting down, and behind me there's a fire extinguisher. And it's one of the silver ones, not one of the red ones. Yeah. And... I'm sat next to Neil Lennon, um, Matty Elliott, um, Ian Marshall, and the physio, a guy called Mick Yeomans. Now, Mick was as bald as a badger, great lad, bit dopey. All the lads picked on him a little bit, as all good physios are. They're the sort of butter the jokes. And Lenny went, instead of having an initiation song, big man, he said, see that fire extinguisher? He said, here's a test for you. He said, give Mick a little spray. Of the fire extinguisher, mate. The lads laugh, have a bit of a laugh and a joke. So I got the fire extinguisher and I just pressed it once over his face. Charlie Chaplin esque um, face of. It was powder, it wasn't foam, it was powder. Yeah. Everybody's laughing. Well done, big man. Welcome to the club. So now Lenny went, no, 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 no. He said, when he comes back from cleaning himself up, he said, Really give it to him. <laughs> I didn't realise at the time that fire extinguishers, if you press them far enough, they click once for a short temporary burst and then you, you do the second click and they stay on. I, I didn't know that either. I, I pressed, uh, don't try this at home, kids. Do not try it at the Molyneux and do not try it uh, anywhere. <laughs> but yes, the second click, click on a fire, it's, it's so it can stay on. So you've not got to press it. You can just then it's on and you get all the the foam or the the powder I press it second click stays on Mickey Owen gets a massive burst over his face but it fills the room with powder and you can't see anything it's just like you know it's just white haze everywhere yeah so I'm there and all the lads are absolutely pissing themselves laughing and then this blow comes out of the mist which one of you fucking idiots did that? Jumps on Matty Elliott's back. First mistake of the night. <laughs> Matty Elliott's a six foot four yeah. kind of, you know, Cockney Scotsman that's like not having on it. He's shaking this bloke off. Two other blokes come to his rescue. To tr- then it all starts kicking off. Piano starts to play. And it, it, it's just like your worst nightmare. All the lads are laughing. We all leave the room. We all go to bed. Bang, 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 next next morning. The legend that is John Robertson voted Nottingham Forest greatest ever player. Yeah. And he's ashen-faced, which he was anyway, because he was a massive smoker. And he said, big man, 
He said, get your boots together. We've been kicked out. He said, some fucking idiot let the fire extinguisher off last night. And the bloke that came out of the mist and jumped on Matty Elliott's back has been coming here with his wife every year for the last 25 years. And he basically went to reception. He says, either they go or I go. So we all get... We're, 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 we're at this stage, I'm panicking. I'm having a major panic attack because Robbo doesn't know it's me. Martin O'Neill was due to arrive later that day. Martin didn't get his flight because he'd heard from the newspapers that there was trouble. So we get to the airport, fly back to Gatwick, couldn't get off the plane and go into the terminal at Gatwick because there was loads of paparazzi there. So the physio goes along and closes all the curtains on the, on the team bus. We go out the back exit... There's one paparazzi there. Muzzy is it sticks two fingers up. That's the next day's sun front page. <laughs> Thanks, Muzzy. So we're on the coach and the, the phone rings on the bus and it's Martin. He said, meet me at Sketchley Grange Hotel, which is just off the M69, off the M1, going towards Leicester. And he said, I want to know what's going on. I want to know who's done it. And this isn't going to end very well for somebody. Turn up at Sketchley Grange, 50 seats set out, Martin at a lectern, and he's like, firstly, chaps, who called me at one o'clock in the morning with, with a garbled voice, which woke me up in bed, and I'm, in, I'm at home with my wife. And Ian Marshall said, it was me, Gaffer, I'm, I'm really sorry. He said, two weeks' wages. He said, I'm, I'm not sure you'll play for me again. And I don't think Marsh actually did. And then he said, which idiot set the fire extinguisher off? <laughs> Deathly silence for about what seemed an eternity, but probably was only 10 seconds. I put my hand up and he looked and he went, fucking hell. He said, Everybody told me to, to, not, to not take a risk on you. He said, see me in my office tomorrow. Every one of you get out and he storms out. So I didn't sleep that night. I'm like, I've only been at Leicester for two days. <sighs> And I'm like, uh, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm scared, I'm frightened. I'm like, what's he going to do? I'm going to get sacked. And no, I'm not, my career's over. Driving to the old training ground, Beaver driving in Leicester, going to his office, and there's every single newspaper on his desk. And it's underlined. And Collymore did this, and so-and-so did that, and so-and-so did that. And he went, have you got a wife or a partner? And I said, yeah, I've got, I've got a partner. He said, when you get out of here, he said, you're going to buy us some flowers. And I was like, huh? What? And he said, when you get out of here, take us some flowers home. And that was straight out of the Brian Clough kind of book of, you, you, you're, going to, you're going to do a lot of apologising and it's going to start with your missus. Yes. So he said, I'm really disappointed in you. He said, I've stuck my neck out despite everybody at this football club saying, don't take him, he's trouble. He said, and I feel a bit of a twat. He said, so you owe me. He said, but I'll tell you what. He said, I'm going to treat this as a yellow card offence. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he said, it, it, simply it means anything. Anything. You step out of line once. You 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 don't take your, your, your plate back to the dinner lady and you're out. Yeah. I was like, thanks, Gaffer. Bowled out. This was on the Thursday. On the Saturday, I'm due to make my home debut against Sunderland. Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn, Peter Reid, top 10, good team. And it's at Filbert Street, so it's my home debut. Yeah. 
go a jog out and I get a little muted, you know, Stan Collymore, it's like, that's the fans, you know, kind of gave a sort of groan. And I ended the game, it was left to five, Sunderland two. It was a super Sunday game. So the nation watched it. I score a hat-trick. Yes. And I'm walking off the pitch with a ball under my arm. And I see Martin O'Neill absolutely steaming towards me. Like, really steaming towards me. He's made a beeline. Everybody else is coming off the pitch. And he's got up to me and I thought, he's gonna, he, I've done something wrong. I've, I've scored a hat-trick, but what have I done wrong? I'm frightened, scared. Please help. And he just, he stopped in front of me. He went, you lucky bastard. <laughs> and I, 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 I knew, and he smiled. And I knew then it was like, I'd been accepted by the lads. I'd been accepted by the manager. Um, at the end of that season, he went to Celtic and I was gutted. And I actually spoke to him. Um, this may be one for a Celtic podcast, but before Hartson and Chris Sutton went up there, um, it was me who wanted to play with Henrik Larsson. Oh, okay. And I said, um, whatever you do, take me to Celtic. And he rang me and he said, I can't. He said, if you do anything daft up here <laughs> with the Celtic Rangers thing, he said, you won't walk out alive. Yeah. He said, I need somebody that's going to be a steady Eddie. And so that was Hartson and and, um, and Chris Sutton. But I had such a great memory of Leicester because the lads were great. The dressing yeah. room was great. Martin was great. But yeah, I got away with that one. Oh. I, had to, I had to score a hat-trick on my, own de- on my home debut to, um, to to get out of dodge on that oh. one, for sure. Stan, that's brilliant. There's, 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 there's another quick story, and then I want to end on something obviously quite poignant because I know it's important yeah. to you. Um, Basic Instinct 2, 2006... <laughs> Cameo appearance with Sharon Stone. I mean, if your life couldn't be getting any better with, you know, eight and a half million moves to Liverpool and scoring goals for fun, the, you know, the, the success at Forest, the promotion, the third place finish, you're then working with and sitting alongside, well, opposite, Sharon Stone. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because I get a phone call out of the blue from a guy called Michael Caton Jones as a director and he took over the sort of the, the direction of the, the, the second film. Um, and basically, obviously, everybody knows the legendary first film with with Sharon Stone and Michael Douglas. Yes, and they drug, they dug, they dragged their heels to make a second one. It, 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 it had funding, then it didn't. It was meant to be in New York, and then New York pulled out of it. They were meant to put up some money, so it ended up being in London. And so they wanted a British director, and they wanted a British storyline. And basically, the storyline was, and he, he rang me and said. Catherine Tremel, her character, who's a murderess, um, is going out with a footballer. Um, you're in a both in a car. You're she's drugged you. Um, you're effectively kissing her and snogging her as she's driving. Winner. She goes round the corner very quickly. Car goes into the River Thames. You drown, and that becomes the start of the film. And I was like, "This is really intriguing." He said, "You're going to be," he said, "You're going to be at Pinewood Studios, and they've got a thirty metre depth tank." And it's amazing. They took the bottom off this supercar, took all the pipe work away and the flooring, and just put a mesh flooring in, so you can drop it in water and it will sink. Yeah. Ten drivers in the in the seat, ballast weighted front, so it goes down at an angle. And I had to sit in this car for six or seven takes, 
terrified because they just fucking dropped it in water. <laughs> she, had, she had a body double. So she did the first one where they just slowly put it in the water and you can clearly see it's Sharon Stone. But for the ones where they're dropping it in the water, she goes off and gets changed and they get a body double in for her to do it. And it was pretty scary, but it was a really good insight into to, to, to movies, really. Yes. And the funniest thing about it was is that she had a caravan next to mine and I thought, oh my God, I've got a caravan and I see them <laughs> taking lobster. I've made it. And, I, and, and, and in mine, I had, I had some like mouldy sandwiches and a couple of bananas and an apple kind of thing. Yeah. But then the, 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 the opening night was at the Odeon Leicester Square, world famous Odeon Leicester Square. And... They wanted to make sure that everybody in the cast, David Morrissey, very good David Morrissey, was um, was in it. We're, good, we're still keeping in, in contact. He's a massive Liverpool fan. And he was the sort of psychologist of, of Sharon Stone trying to, to, trying to therapise her and, and, and get her to sort of see the error of her ways. And he falls in love with her later on in the film. So David Morrissey goes there first. Then they get to Sharon Stone and I'm third. And I'm in a hotel around the corner and I've switched on BBC London. And it's like, here we are live at the, um, the at the premiere to Basic Instinct 2. Sharon Stone's in, Sharon, Sharon. And he asked her a couple of questions. He said, your co-star is very well known as, a, as an ex-professional footballer and a bit of a bad boy, dare I say, um, Stan Collymore. And she went, Stan's such a darling, such an ease to work <laughs> with. We're great friends. She barely fucking spoke to me. <laughs> That's how Hollywood works. Yes, yes, yes. That I barely passed the time of day with. That when it went to the red carpet and they asked her a question about me, she went, Dearest Stan, he's great and we're such good friends. And I, I turned around to um, my mate and I said, Look at that. I said, I barely said a word to this woman and she's barely said a word to me other than, you know, hey, how are you doing? And she's made it sound classic Hollywood style that yeah. we're sort of best mates, which was funny. But yeah, I. I I was sat in a car day in, day out for seven days with Sharon Stone snogging her. Wow. I mean, it, it surely doesn't get any better, Stan. I mean, I, I, I want to end on a, a very poignant note, and I hope you don't mind me speaking about it. I've read your no, book, sure. Tackling My Demons, um, and, and, and one of the one, one of the points you made was that, that people say, oh, Stanley had a wasted career, he could have been this, he could have been that. And yet you quite openly say, well, I've played for some of the biggest clubs in the country. Um, you've, you've played for your country. So, you know, could it have got any better? But in January... Yes. 19- the, the, the answer is yes, because I've got oh. three caps. It's a time when there was Shearer, Sheringham, Wright, Ferdinand, Cole, uh, Sutton, yes. Fowler, Owen... Yeah. So it wasn't like now where there's Harry Kane and, and pretty much nothing beyond that. Yeah. Um, if that had been now, there'd have been a lot more caps. And yes, I could have gone on and played physically till 35, 36, 37. Um, but the, I think that the point I was trying to make was is that I've had, it's very well known, that I've had therapy for over the, at, at times over the last, 25 years yes and I got to the bottom of issues from from childhood which I've I've spoken candidly about and those those issues were no fault of my own and many people listening to this I always say and particularly men and particularly men that are football fans because we still tend to be a sort of very macho yeah I'm all right everything's all right 
is that one in three people will have a mental health issue at some time in their life. And out of that one in three, there'll be some that have quite serious stuff going on. Yes. We're all a product of our childhood. If you've had a childhood with a mum and dad there present and they taught you boundaries and and um, to stand on your own two feet, it's, I didn't have any of that. And that's yes. what I alluded to when I was a young pro is that I was just, just expecting my talent to be indulged and everything to be rose in the garden, everybody to tell me all the time that everything was going to be okay and all right. And that's what my mum did. And that's no fault of my mum. I just... Um, she was. It was just me and her. Yes. She'd had an abusive, been in an abusive relationship with my dad. So I, I worked through a lot of those issues and still do. So when I look back at and people say wasted career, and then I say if you knew where I came from as a yes. child and how much damage there was there, and then you say that damaged child. The only two things that I wanted to do age 10, and I'm just looking at a picture of myself now with a sort of 1982-82 England shirt on with the Admiral one with the red and blue at the top. Yeah. Um, stood with me mum and my sister. And, and, and then I look behind me and there's a picture of me with a villa ball under my arm, aged 11. Is that all I wanted to do when I was a kid was to play for England at Aston Villa. I did both. Yes. And I also played for the two most successful clubs um of when I was growing up, Nottingham Forest and Liverpool. Yes. Um, I played for Crystal Palace. I played for Fulham. I, I lived in London. Um, I lived the dream. Is that, yes, you can have a sliding scale of what qualifies qualifies and quantifies to m many people as success. Yes. But bearing in mind where I came from, the career that I had for 14, to play football for 14 years is very difficult anyway. There are yes. lots of people that drop out way before getting a pro contract. Lots of people that drop out a year or two into being a pro. Um, I'm involved at Southend now and, and it's very normal for players to, to have a contract for a season and then looking for a club for a season and don't find one and then go back into it for a season. Yes. So to have a full-time career for 14 years and to play for some of the world's great clubs, um, to score the winning goal in the best Premier League game ever voted several times by yeah. Sky viewers over their 10th and 20th anniversary to be cap number 1067 for England out of 1,200 men over 150 yeah. years that have played for England. And it gives some sort of context to it. I don't profess um, to not acknowledge people when they say you could have had 60, 70, 80 caps, you could have yeah. you know, stayed at Liverpool for a decade or whatever. I agree with all of those things. But I think that when you look at where we come from as an individual yes. and going into a, an industry that is basically a shark tank and everybody's there and everybody's competitive, I think I did bloody well and I'm oh. proud of the fact that I had a career. I, th I think that talking now to a lot of ex-pros that are very reluctant to speak out, yeah. um, often they'll say, damn, I played at you know League One level or... I had a year in the Premier League or I had, you know, seven or eight years in the Championship and then my mental health issues became really bad and it meant I couldn't go on. I had a classic 14, 15 year career. So uh, in, 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 in that regard, um, I'm, I'm really proud of myself in the, in the, in the regard of um, for the ability that I had, could I have done this? Could I have done that? Absolutely. But it's very difficult. It's, it's very difficult to quantify um, 
what you should and what you shouldn't, yeah. what you shouldn't have done. All you can look back on and what you have done. And that is at little old South End that I've gone back to help now. They voted me in their greatest ever team. Okay, you could say, well, that's little old South End. But Nottingham Forest voted me in their greatest ever team. Yeah. And that's, a, that's Nottingham Forest. Um, Liverpool, one of the top five or six strike partnerships in goal scored in Liverpool's history. Um, four club record transfers, one national record transfer. So, as we'd say in Canuck, a day do too bad, did I? Hey, I'll tell you what, Stan. And, and I'll, and I'll take that. I'll take that. I dated too bad. And I, and I'll tell you what, Stan, you will. And, and, and it was, you know, that gives so much hope to children in single-parent families who sometimes don't get the and greatest support from issues, home. You know, I mean, we t- the, the, the things that, we t- that, that are a lot more, the younger generation, my daughter, my son, um, they're, they're, they talk about things with a lot more openness and a lot more candor because I think the generation got to the point where it was like the pull your socks up and, and roll your sleeves up thing. We said, I mean guys from under fifty, it was on the news again yesterday, men under fifty in this country are killing themselves left, right and centre. And a lot of guys that will be listening to this will be men under fifty. Yes. And the thing that I'd say to you all is you've got this one life You've probably got your missus and you've got your kids that are grown up now and you've got your maybe some siblings or friends that you go down the pub with. Talk to them. Yeah. There's nothing to be there's nothing to be afraid of by talking and saying to your mate, struggling a bit today, pipe. I'm, I'm it's all a bit on top at work. The last six months have been really bad. Missus left me, and you'd be surprised how when you talk. Yeah. And when you share something and when somebody responds to you and says, I'll be there for you, old chap, is that that can make a difference. Uh-oh. And that's why 25 years ago, when I was at the club of my dreams and the nightmares personally and professionally were unfolding for me, that I decided to speak out. I went to a hospital, yeah, which is a psychiatric hospital, and I said, I need help. And here we are 25 years later and players... And people generally, the younger generation, thank God they did, our, our kids' generation, is that they said, no, it's okay to stand up and speak yes. out. And I'm not going to be scared of saying that I'm struggling with this because I know that somebody can help me. And, and for, for blokes under 50, if you are that person listening to this and you struggle and you really are struggling and you know in your heart and the pit of your stomach that every day is getting harder and harder and you don't feel you can talk to anybody come on twitter send me a direct message or say stan listen to the wolves podcast and the biggest thing i took away from that was i gave me mate a bell we went for a coffee in costa in canuck or in in wolvo and you know what it made it it made a difference it made me feel valued and it made me feel there's somebody there to, to, that will listen. I remember reading your book, Stan, and, and, you know, it was quite poignant, especially at the Villa time when that probably should have been the peak of your career. You, you, some days... Yeah, you, it was you, horrific. When you couldn't get out of bed for days and, and, and you know, one of the things that obviously John Gregory said, which was, you know, well, you can't have money and be depressed or something down those lines. And, yes, you had the world at your feet, Stan, plenty of money in your pocket, playing for your boyhood club, you know, girls at your feet, whatever, and all the trappings that come with it, but you were still in a really dark and bad place. 
Yeah, and the, 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 the bizarre thing about that comment from John Gregory, and he apologised, we did a TV thing about 10 years later, and he said, look, I was, I was bang out of order, so I have to say that uh, it was appreciated. Said, um, could Sheikh Mansour have a broken leg? People would say yes. Could Sheikh Mansour have cancer? God forbid. Yes. Could he have brain trauma? Yes. Of course he could. Could he have depression? And, and some people go, you're joking, eh? Yeah? Bloke's got more money than, than, than Midas. He's got football clubs, he's got cars, he's got. It's an illness. It's just an illness. The same as as cancer, the same as leukemia, that any any cancers will look. And for such a long time, it it became very difficult to extricate the word depressed, which means feeling blue for a a day or two. Yeah. And the the illness, which is a significant illness of the brain, which then affects emotions and feelings. And that was the hardest thing for me when then I turned into campaigner mode that blokes would go, oh, I'm all right, I'll just feel shit for a couple of days, oh, well, I've got to pull myself together. No, this is something that goes on for, you know the difference. The difference between depression and feeling the blues for two or three days is you'll know if depression is. Yes. Because it affects every single relationship. It affects whether you can sleep or not, whether you've got insomnia or whether you've got hypersomnia, which is sleeping too much, whether it's you feel worthless whether you're going to work and you feel completely detached from your surroundings, when you're with your missus in a beautiful place, sat on a beach, you've got, you've got your two weeks holiday and you've got a beer in your hand and you know you don't feel right and you haven't felt right for weeks, that's depression. And, and thankfully now, um, more people, more people of our age group, of our generation are speaking out. But it's been the kids that have done it because they've turned around and gone, you know what, I'm going to open up about this. Yes. And so there becomes more platforms to be able to share and there's more people that will say, well done you, instead of going, bloody hell, you're a soft bit of softy. I wasn't soft, I was incredibly durable. But the times when I really struggled at Villa, I had to go into a psychiatric hospital to get well. And it was full of people that were incredibly poorly yeah. across the spectrum of mental health. There was no egos being fanned and sitting on a chaise long being fed grapes by a, a beautiful <laughs> yeah. blonde in a, in, a, in a white coat saying, there, there, Stan, you know, footballer for Aston Villa, you got to... It was a serious um, illness. And if you look at people like Robert Enka, the goalkeeper that took his yes. own life, if you look at Gary Speed yes. and the, the awful story of when they showed the little bits fairly recently um, of him being in the in the... The, the football focus studio yeah, the day before he took it. his own life and nobody told nobody could tell nobody would have known it all internalised so the thing I'd just say the, the final takeaway would be if you think you or somebody else is struggling talk yes. reach out to a friend reach out to a, a family member there are loads of really good resources online where you can talk to people anonymously and I promise you it will take you a step forward to getting better. Wow. That is that is so powerful, Stan, and thank you, you know, because you've been so honest today. And I just want to end on a positive in as much as if you can look back on that fantastic career that, that started in Cannock on the Green Bus and, it, you know, took you all over the world, quite literally, what, what do you look back on and it brings a smile to your face? Um, 
think, I mean, there's, there's, there's loads, but I think if there was one thing, two things that I really wanted to do, and that was to play for Villa, so my Villa debut, and I remember driving, I was living in the centre of Birmingham at the time, and I switched on um, BRMB, and I think it was Tony Butler, and it's like, it's the big debut, Stan Collymore's back, Villa, and I, it was a sunny night, um, a sunny night, a sunny day and a warm night, and I drove round Spaghetti Junction to Villa Park, and the, and the lights are on, and I was like, fuck, that eight, nine-year-old kid that went with his sister to um, to Villa Park and now I'm going there as the main man. And the second one was <laughs> my England debut. I remember um, walking, uh, uh, coming out of the tunnel at the old Wembley, which you obviously walked up behind the goal and you couldn't see, the first 10 steps, you couldn't see the bowl. You could hear the noise. And then you take 15 steps, 16, 17, and then the whole Wembley Bowls opens in front of you. And having an England, a real England shirt on and pull it, pulling it over your head for the first time is something that I'll never, ever forget. My 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 most prized possession is my red velvet um, legacy cap. Everybody now gets a, a cap with their unique number on. Mine's 1067. Wow. I think Gary Neville's is 1068. So we made our debuts on the same day. So, so my Villa debut and my England debut, but even if I had to pick one between those two, um, I'd, I'd say my England debut. I'm a massive England fan. I take my flag with me wherever I go, when, whether I'm working at World Cups or Euros or not. So walking out at Wembley for an England debut was incredible. Just wow. truly incredible. And feel very blessed for the, for the opportunity to do that. Wow. Well, Stan, can I just say... Thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast because I'm sure you get asked about these all the time. Thank you. I'm doing. I'm doing. Hey, I'm doing Everton next. I'm doing one of the Everton ones in about ten minutes after you, and they're going to be talking very different things about kicking out Bill Kenwright. So, <laughs> I'm to, to actually talk myself a little bit. It's, Good it's luck with great. that. Thank you for your honesty, Stan. And and you know you you didn't shirked any questions, and you said I could have asked you anything. I asked you everything I wanted to. And you know what? Thank you for representing our great club. I wished you'd have done more for us. I wished you could have had the opportunity to do more for us. But thanks for again, Stan, and you're welcome on the Wolf Whistle podcast anytime. Thank you very much. And only one final thing I can say before I drop my mic is up the villa. Oh, he's done me there. Ha, ha, ha.